What's up, everyone, and welcome back to the Ab Geek Chronicles podcast. I'm your host, Colin, the Chief Ab Geek, Aviation Maniac, or whatever you want to call me. Everyone, today is episode 14 of Ab Geek Chronicles, and we're going to keep today's episode short and sweet, but I got some quick topics that I think you guys are really going to enjoy. Today, I'm going to bring you all what I believe to be the top five trends in aviation that I think you all need to be watching out for for the rest of 2018. So far in 2018, there's been some incredible news in the world of aviation, but there have been some serious trends that I believe I've seen been popping up in the news more than most other topics. So the top five trends in aviation that I believe you need to be watching out for are number one, pilot mental health. Number two, Pilot recruitment and retention. Number three, safety. Number four, drones. And last but not least, the ever fun on-demand mobility. Guys, if these topics seem very familiar to you, it's because you've probably been hearing a lot about them throughout the news and social media lately. Not only have you heard a lot about them, but I believe you will be hearing even more about them into the future. So closing out 2018 and going into 2018 or 2019, excuse me. So let's dive into our first hot topic of 2018. I believe that to be mental pilot mental health. Like I talk like the eh, I can't even talk tonight, everybody. Like I talked about last week's episode, aviator mental health is super important, and it's made some heavy headlines lately, even over the last week. Just in the last week, if you've been following any news source, I mean, you had the employee who stole the turboprop plane from SeaTac International Airport in Seattle and then decided to take it for an hour joyride before crashing the airplane on an island southwest of Tacoma. You then also had the guy in Utah who flew his company's plane, the company that he was employed for, flew his company's citation jet into his own family's house where his son and wife were after being jailed by the local authorities the night before. The night before. I mean, what a crazy, crazy weekend. But there have been other, you know, other cases out there. You know, you have the German Wings case or a recent aviation accident out on the East Coast involving two flight students. Or even the miracle on the Hudson. But that was a positive story. But it still had to do with the mental health of the aviators. All of these, whether they were good or bad, had to do with something involving mental health. So it's pretty much safe to say that this is a topic that is only going to be gaining traction uh, more and more in the future because of a lot of these recent events. You know, it's just my opinion but I believe mental health is one of the most important categories when talking about aviator health. Flying is such a mental and process-based activity that if you don't have your mental game right or you're stressed out or something's wrong upstairs, you're literally one wrong move from causing a potential fatal mistake to yourself or to other people. Or you're close to one, you know, one wrong move that you may regret later, you know. Maybe you do something wrong and you survive, but it could get you in serious trouble. You know, like I said in last week's podcast, my wife and I as marriage counselor always says, and I love this, he says, if you're mad, sad, tired, hungry, etc., you're bound to do things, make decisions, or say things that you're probably going to regret later. 
you know, if you felt normal and you were saying these things, it'd be different. But if you're feeling any of those things in your mental game, you're probably going to do something or say something or make a decision that you probably will look back and say, man, I should have done something different. You can 100% attach these same principles to pilots, to maintenance crews, to ground personnel. I mean, everybody that is dealing with aviation, aviation assets, or movement of aviation, anything, you got to have your mental game right. If your mental health is not at tip-top shape, or you got crap going on in your life that's messing with your head, then you're literally putting yourself at a serious disadvantage when it comes to making correct, quick, sensible decisions when you're around anything in aviation. Y'all remember there is this little uh, this little thing called the I'm Safe Checklist. You know, it's there for a reason, and they talk about it in FAA training for a reason. In that checklist, you have S, which stands for stress, and E, which stands for emotion. Both of these checkboxes hit the mental health portion of flying. If you are having troubles at home, at work, with family, with friends, or maybe something is just bothering or upsetting you. You're feeling angry. You're feeling impatient. You're feeling sad or you're depressed. If you're having any of these types of mental issues and they're causing you to be emotionally upset, then it's probably safe to say that you should think about staying out of the cockpit. I mean, really, if you're feeling any of those, you're probably not going to be able to make the quick decisions that uh, you need uh, that you need to make uh, while you're you know, in the cockpit or you're fixing airplanes or you're a ground support um, crew member and you're moving things around. All people in aviation really need to watch out for one another uh, and really need to jump on the if you see something, say something train. It may make somebody uneasy if you ask them if everything is all right or asking them if they need any personal help with something, but they'll eventually get over this, you know, and think that there's nothing wrong, or you could literally, I mean, this is the biggest part, you could probably save one life just by asking, hey, is everything okay? Everyone needs to keep in mind that, you know, negative emotions can lie underneath the surface only to manifest themselves later under very stressful or pressure situations. You know, you may not see something that somebody's going through, but by asking something, maybe they'll be, you know, more willing uh, to talk uh, to talk about it. You know, just like the Utah case, the pilot's own employer said the pilot was an amazing performer for them. But he did mention that as of late, it seemed like marital problems had sprouted up. You know, taking an emotional inventory, not just of yourself, but of other people, may be uncomfortable for some people, especially for some pilots but it's an important part of the overall picture of our health and our industry's health. Because if our pilots or anybody in aviation aren't healthy, our industry is not healthy. You know, it's just crazy to hear and read about the air, you know, that aircraft are literally being increasingly used as suicide tools. Yes, you heard that right. More and more is being talked about that aircraft, not guns, not knives, not anything, are increasingly being used as suicide tools. But that's telling us, you know, when it comes to mental health and people making the wrong decision, there's a whole bunch of tools out there. 
there it's not the tool's fault you know it's it's obviously that person's fault and they're going through something and people should probably start watching out for those folks you know aircraft connect the world together they are positive tools this is something that i think the aviation industry really needs to look into and needs to take some um you know a serious a more serious uh serious look at because if our you know, if pilots and aviators, anybody from maintenance to ground support people to people in the office, people making decisions, people moving, you know, aircraft country to country, mental health is so important to making sure the job gets done right and everybody gets home safe. So wrapping up this topic, John Beatty, CEO of the Flight Safety Foundation, an industry group that studies safety issues, gave a recommendation on how the aviation community should move forward when it comes to aviator mental health. He said, and quote, unquestionably the best way to do so, meaning moving forward, is to encourage pilots to seek medical help and train physicians to both identify early warning signs and prescribe the best treatments. And then he continued on saying, at the same time, we cannot afford to allow pilots with serious mental health issues to have access to the flight deck. There's more than one person that usually gets on an aircraft when somebody has access to the flight deck, especially in a commercial situation. This is when the crew really needs to take some serious you know, inventory of people's mental health. If the crew ain't right, the flight ain't going to be right. You know... If you're an aviator and you see something that just seems off about something in an airport, something about a flight, or something about somebody else, bring it up. You literally could be saving somebody's life. Now let's get to the second topic that I believe will continue to be trending for the next couple of years. This is the ever-increasingly talked-about topic of pilot recruitment and retention. You know, it's a widely known issue across the globe that there's a significant pilot shortage. You know, this is true for both commercial space and the military space. Boeing, who everybody knows, right? You know, they have projected that aviation will need 790,000 new pilots by 2037. Yes, you heard that right. They're projecting that the industry needs 790,000 new pilots by 2037. 96,000 of these pilots are needed just to support the business aviation sector. So that's not even counting commercial, uh, the commercial airlines like United and Delta Southwest. No, this is business aviation. You know, across the pond, Boeing's rival Airbus has projected that the pilot demand in their eyes is going to be 450,000 pilots by 2035. You know, you also hear, at least here in the U.S., that certified flight instructors are becoming very hard to find and hire to train these new pilots. If you jump over to the military side, they're not immune from this problem either. The U.S. services are raising bonuses and trying to find other creative ways just to retain their aviators. But many are jumping, you know, they're jumping ship, I guess, pun, right, for the Navy side. Um, but they're moving to the civilian side, A, for better pay, and B, for a better work-life balance. And, you know, that's not true for everybody. You can't say that because there are some people that are in the military that they love what they do. They love flying. They love the lifestyle. But there's a lot of people who they, they put in their service um, and they decide they want to move on with their life and possibly have a, a commercial airline job. 
So, you know, why is this problem happening and how can it be rectified? Well, one issue that's pretty easy to spot on is a lot of older pilots are starting to retire. You know, this age age group, it, it fills a big place in the majors. And when I say majors, I mean the major airlines, United, Delta, uh, Southwest, etc. And now those positions need to be filled. Now, I don't think the majors are really the ones that are having a big issue trying to find pilots. The majors kind of have the ability to pick their own pilots and they have a few pools to pick. Uh, they have, you know, a couple pools to pick from, from the regionals or the military. You know, this gives them a steady pipeline to choose from. So that's why I don't think that they have all that hard of a time picking pilots. In theory, they're poaching these pilots from the regionals and the military, thus leaving a void in the regionals and the military. The regionals are then poaching flight instructors, leaving a void in that area. So not only do you not have enough flight instructors to train new pilots, but your experienced regional pilots are moving into the majors and you're leaving a void in the regionals. You know, and there's also been this problem that's, I mean, this has been going on for a long, long time, just in aviation alone. Uh, But in the regionals, it's known that the pay is quite low. And after a student has invested somewhere to the tune of $100,000 for their certificates, their education, their hours, they may not think it's worth working for that little money. I mean, would you? Money, you know, some believe is it's barely enough to live off of. I mean, could you live off of twenty, thirty thousand dollars a year on a on a uh, salary of a regional airline pilot? When you put together money, benefits, and quality of living, you know, when it's not great, many are going to stray away from that lifestyle. I really, really want to get to the bottom of this whole regional airline thing. So I'm very much looking forward uh, to having you know interviewing a young pilot who I know. Uh, who's currently in the regionals, because I really want to get his two cents on the issue. I'm not fully educated on it. I've only seen, you know, what I've seen personally and from people that I I know. Um, But I can't wait to get his two cents. When you move over to the helicopter side, the cost of these certificates are even higher, and the flight requirements to get into the good flying jobs are pretty high as well. So it's going to cost you to get there. You know, I know this because I have a few friends who fly out in New York and Florida and they're building time just doing tours and charters. So then one day they can make the jump to a better paying flying job. But again, this takes investment. It takes a lot of time. Um, so even though the pay can be low and the hours in the helicopter world can be long, you know, the best part about the aviation world is... People, they, they say they couldn't think of doing anything more. They love their jobs. They're so passionate about it. And that's why people fly and they put up with the low pay and, you know, crappy benefits and, and all that. So, you know, pilots and people in aviation legitimately epitomize doing, you know, do what you love. Enjoy what you do. I mean, that's people in aviation. I really, uh, I really truly believe it. And that's, you know, that's why I'm in the aviation world. Now, another huge issue affecting this shortage is it's very expensive to get into aviation. And I know this firsthand. Getting your fixed wing, your rotor, or even your A&P license can get very, very pricey. And it keeps a lot of people out of the business. It's true that it's very expensive to turn on an aircraft. There's just no way around that. Even a piston aircraft, it's still expensive to turn it on. You know, 
But it's my guess, and, and I think I'm going to be right. I really believe that there's going to be a better, be cheaper, and see more efficient routes to getting your licenses um, that come to fruition here in the future. I mean, with time comes ingenuity uh, and better ways. So I think it'll happen. So lastly, with the pilot shortage topic, I want to look at another side of the issue, which I really don't think too many people you know, think about, especially young folks. That's just the economics of aviation. You know, if you're seeing these trends uh, for the needs of pilots and you're hearing it everywhere, you're seeing it in magazines, and you have your eye on the prize, I'm going to become an airline pilot. Be careful. I mean, just think about it. Flight schools have to say that there's a pilot shortage no matter what's going on. Flight schools survive on the backs of students. It's a school. It's a for-profit school. You, the student, are the dollar sign that is going to help them make them profitable. If they don't have you, they have no dollar signs. It would be stupid for them to say, hey, come train with us. There's no jobs right now. No, Nobody's hiring. But we want to train you, and we want you to train with us, and we want you to spend all this money. That just doesn't make great business sense or economical sense. I mean, guys, I paid a few hundred dollars for a check ride that lasted less than an hour. It's business and money. It really, really is. You know, secondly, it's, you know, I look at the pilot shortage. It's like, a, you know, understanding the supply and demand curve. When supply is high, you know, prices, a.k.a. wages, are low. Um, and when supply is low, those prices and wages go up right everything's different if airlines or businesses needed pilots and there's a shortage they have to pay higher wages or they won't attract the workforce pilots leave the military because the pay is higher and the quality of life uh, is better for them than what they were used to for them it's economics it's family you know really for everyone this global issue has to do with economics and until the economics start playing out, we really don't know how this is going to finish up. So let's move on to the third topic that I really want to talk about, and I think it's a growing trend. And that is the safety trend in aviation. Safety is paramount in aviation. It's been, you know, it's been comforting that there's a growing, growing focus on it. According to statistics released by the NTSB, since 2016, General aviation has been seen, it's, you know, it's, it's seen its safest years in decades. 2016 was one of, the, one of general aviation's safest years in decades, according to the NTSB. So what's helping these stats? Being that I work in the OEM world, I really believe that technology is aiding in the rise of safety efforts because it's aiding all personnel from the pilot to the wrench turner. For example, you know, I work at Bell, helicopters, dual FADEX systems and triple redundant systems in an aircraft are huge, huge improvements from the legacy models. These newer systems are helping aviators focus on important tasks rather than the menial task, which sometimes could lead to catastrophic events. You know, another thing that I think is pretty cool and it's something that's really, really catching on. And in fact, I've seen it now twice uh, since I first learned about it a couple weeks ago, uh, to be honest, uh, I've seen it in uh, a few magazines and on the web too, is self-reporting is becoming another huge variable to the safety culture. You know, aviators are becoming very, what I would say, more self-aware of safety issues and the mistakes that they make. 
but they want to correct them. You know, according to NASA data, NASA being the space organization, um, self-reporting through the NASA reporting system had only seen a steady growth till about 2007, we'll say. Now those reports have skyrocketed. Now this trend could be looked at as good or it could be bad as like, you know, man, pilots are making a lot more mistakes and they're reporting it so they don't get in trouble. Regardless, I believe aviation technology is becoming a more capable, safer, uh, and very much more intuitive, thus creating a safer, uh, safer environment for all. When technology increases, I believe safety increases with it. So the fourth topic that I want to bring up that I believe is very, very trend-worthy is drones. I mean, you guys haven't heard enough about drones lately. In fact, you know, today, before I started recording this podcast, I got a mailer of a drone conference that's coming here to uh, to, to the Dallas-Fort Worth area. For me, I think it's a bunch of hoopla, and I think it's just a bunch of people trying to make money. But it's funny. It's a trend. People are picking up on it, and they're creating these conferences and these events, and they're doing things around drones. If you haven't noticed, drones are selling like hotcakes. When drones first hit the market, there wasn't too much regulation around them, and sales were really outpassing regulations. Fast forward to now, though, you know, and sales and regulations of drones are going up proportionally now. The commercial drone market alone is legit a billion dollar market right now, and things don't seem to be slowing down. Because the public has been able to get their hands on drones so easily and quickly, the federal government is trying to play catch up and regulate the machines. In my opinion, I believe the FAA has taken swift action so far uh, to, tra- to track and regulate these drones. Yeah, they're, they're doing a good job with what they have, and, and I think it, uh, it'll get better. If you remember a while back, I released a podcast about the regulation of drones. So after today's episode, if you're wanting to learn more about the regulations of drones, you should go back to my episode called Drones Are No Joke. This episode will give you a whole rundown of regulations that are out there now. For a quick glance, the FAA has already established drone registration and certification requirements for recreational and commercial use drones. The FAA has also increased its monitoring of these remote drones, and they've established zones for high drone use areas, which can be seen on apps like ForeFlight. So what else has the FAA done? Well, on that list, They've done thing like they've uh, they've done things like research risk uh, posed to the drones or posed to civilians by these drones. They've also established specific drone operating rules, which includes airspace rules restricting them to uh, you know like things like they can't fly around an airport uh, and manned aircraft. Uh, you know they really have to watch out for too. So the problem is, is the average citizen doesn't really know about these laws. So they go buy a drone from Best Buy, they go up and launch it, and they may be, you know, breaking the regulation. I really think the FAA needs to get the word out better. They're not advertising like they, you know, like they should be, and they really, really need to be getting the word out better. So you should be expecting this market to heat up here in the near future, and this debate uh, on these type of aircraft are going to grow and their regulations are going to uh, are going to grow with them. 
So with the rise of the drone market, we've now come to the fifth and final topic that I believe is trend-worthy in 2018 and going into 2019. This topic is on-demand vertical takeoff and landing, better known as VTOL. This is a topic that I've gotten to know very, very well through my job at Bell. On-demand helicopter service is not a new, and it are, you know it's not new, it already exists, especially in markets like New York or Florida or L.A., and Blade, this business called Blade, which started out in uh, New York, really rules this on-demand service. Blade has actually expanded to Florida and the West Coast because their model in Florida has begun. It's really become so popular. You know, I've been very fortunate to to get to know the CEO uh, Rob and his team over the last two years. I mean, these these people are so incredible. And they're so forward-thinking, and I think what they're what they're doing is, is truly uh, groundbreaking. Um, and then down in uh, Latin America, you have a service called Voom that mimics a lot of what Blade is doing. But I can't really comment too much on Voom, except I know they're an on-demand uh, mobility, and it's coming out of the Airbus ranks. Um, but they do a lot of what Blade is doing, but I still think Blade is a better uh, better intuitive and user-friendly service. But now you have kind of this race on who is going to create the best eVTOL aircraft. And there's a whole bunch of companies in this race, including my company, Bell. They're producing one as well. You know, And this has been spurred by this program coming out of Uber called Uber Elevate that is really, really gaining traction in the media. They just held their second... Uh, Elevate Summit early earlier this year, and from what I heard, it was uh, it was it was really really good, and and the on demand aircraft success is really really going to depend greatly on current conversations between OEMs, suppliers, government agencies like the FAA, legislators in Washington, real estate companies, and the courts. All these companies play an important role uh, in this on demand mobility. Uh, as ride sharing, you know, as the ride sharing economy is growing and growing and it's it's scaling every day what it seems. You know, these companies are looking to take us into the future. The OEMs are producing and engineering the machines, but it's really really these companies that are bringing the market into the future. These companies ultimately what they want to do is they want to reduce the rising commute times that are happening in bigger cities. It's just taking forever to get around these places. But what are they missing? They really don't want to make the product. They want somebody else to. If you look back at how all these companies started, it's pretty simple. They're app-based technology companies. They don't own any assets or any equipment. I mean, they own assets. Okay, won't say that but they don't own any of the equipment that makes their business the business. Uber doesn't own cars. Facebook doesn't create content. Blade doesn't own helicopters. It's pretty genius when you think about it. Um, and, you know, so when you look at this business and, and you see things, what are some of the hot questions that really, really need to be answered here, uh, you know, in the new future before all of a sudden you're going to be zipping around your favorite city like a freaking Jetson. So those questions are going to be things like where, you know, will there be regulatory reform for flight sharing? You know, can I share flights? What are there going to be the uh, the rules around it? 
what type of aircraft is going to be best for this mission? You know, every company right now is producing something slightly different from each other. Then you have things like how, what is this aircraft going to be classified as? How are you going to deal with air taxi traffic above densely populated urban areas? How are you going to structure ATC to fit in this new area? And last, but you know, kind of not least, is how long do you think it's going to take to demonstrate and commercialize this technology? For the people in the average world, that's an important issue. When is this actually going to come out? Because if it's not coming out for a while, most people don't care. They just really, really don't. So though I feel there are a ton of topics out there that are making their way around the industry, those are kind of the five that I felt will be very, very trend-worthy to finish off this year and going into next year. So if you feel if you feel like there's a topic that you believe is trend-worthy that I did not bring up in the aviation space, let's continue this conversation over on social media. You can hit me up on Twitter at Hodge underscore C-H-E. That's at H-O-D-G-E underscore C-H-E. And you can find me on Instagram at the same handle, at Hodge underscore C-H-E. Well, everybody, that's all I have for you today. And I really hope you enjoyed this quick uh, this quick episode today. Hopefully it was quicker uh, than the others. But I think there was some really, really cool, good information in here. But make sure you are subscribed to the podcast on what ever your favorite podcast platform is please subscribe please leave a comment i really really appreciate uh, you taking the time uh, to listen here and if you didn't hear last week remember you now can be a supporter of the av geek chronicles podcast and supporting our mission to help our future aviators by making a monthly uh, contribution to our mission how do you make a uh, contribution to our mission well click the link that you can find in today's podcast episode uh, in the details section, or you can go to anchor.fm slash avgeekchronicles. That's anchor.fm slash avgeekchronicles. And click on the support button uh, that's inside the podcast. Guys, I mean, any help that I can get is, is greatly appreciated, but I really want as much help from everybody in the community, uh, you know, in the community as possible to create the next generation of aviators. So, from your chief av geek, I say to you, blue skies and tailwinds, everybody. See you on the next episode of Av Geek Chronicles. Take care. everyone for tuning in today's podcast if you liked what you heard or have any recommendations it would mean the world because i literally mean the whole world if you left a rating commented liked and subscribed to this podcast on whatever your favorite platform is your voice and word of mouth is what will continue to make av geek chronicles a growing podcast thank you for listening